Transporting an audience to a different world is not just the role of the actors. Creating a sense of time, place, and mood to enhance the script and story is the role of our guests today. Hello, I'm Gordon Cox from Variety, and joining me to discuss theatrical design are scenic designer David Gallo, designer the sound, design. sound designer John Gramada, costume designer Susan Hilferty, and lighting designer Peter Kazarowski. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. What role do your designs play in telling the story of a musical or a play? Our roles are about, I think all of us together, about creating a physical world, a physical world to tell the story. But I also think that's part of our job is to, that we're all telling the same story, that we, we find at the beginning what story we're going to tell. Um, but that's how I would describe our role in the... Yeah, I think that the key thing is finding out what the story it is that you want to tell. And one of the unique things about being a designer is I think you would all agree is that we're some of the earliest people that get involved with the production after it's been, you know, if you talk about like a musical, you know, the, the book has been started and there's these great songs and then the director has been working on it, let's say, and there's some general casting ideas and choices. But I think that people pretty much turn to the design team to really sort of get the ball rolling to help um, push the whole thing forward. And I think that it's our job to help sort of determine, um, you know, get from them what is, is the story that we want to tell. And then, uh, as Susan said, you know, make sure that everybody's kind of on the same page and it's all coming from, from a unified place. Yeah, every, every choice is to serve the story, including the, the music and the sound. It's just it's how, how do you elevate the story? How do you, how do you take it someplace? How do you deliver it to an audience? Can you tell me a little bit about the process of creating Th that world that you've talked about? Well, I think it's different each time. I mean, one of the thrilling parts about what we do is that we can tell the same story, whether, let's say, Shakespeare or Hamlet, that we can do a Hamlet 20 different times in our lifetimes, and it actually will be completely different each time. Usually, it's the same story. It'll be the same text, the same script. So we can, um, when we begin, I think the, the real guidance for us comes from the director, that the director will be using, will be approaching the text, whether or not it's music or written text, in such a way that we, it, it's like a door in for us. But I think, I think every time we start a production, it's different. I think the journey is different each time. Every process is, is different. Every, every director is different. And, and also, each one of us in the different disciplines is brought into different times. And we have different experiences with the director and with the, with the project. So it's, mm -hmm. it's impossible to summarize, I think, as designers. I would think that, oh, sorry, Peter. Well, I was just going to say it's, it's also impossible to sort of figure the formula because people are busy and uh, different members of the team come to it at, at different times in the process. David said, I, I think usually it's the set designer who starts earliest with the director. Yeah, it's, 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 it's funny how that is. I mean, and that's speaking on, largely on new material, I think. But, yeah, you, you're kind of, in a way, you're the first sort of therapist to step in and help people sort things out. You know what I mean? They may come to you and say, you know, we have these issues. This is the way that it's written. And, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we sort this out? And so I think it's uh, um, another role that you're playing is you're buying time for everybody. You know, you're having meetings, you're getting the ball rolling, and you're, you're doing that. And so you're, you're kind of, of, of allowing there to be uh, the beginnings of, I think, you know, what the, the, that phase of the process, I guess, you're, you're, you're uh, um, you know, getting all of that started, I guess, when they finally, you know, committed to sort of moving forward those initial, initial meetings. And as a scenic designer, you're basically handed, you know, a blank page and you have, you know, let's say you have music, you have the text, you know, you have the score, whatever, but, and, you know, let's hopefully, hopefully what theater that you're going to be in, although that seems to be rarely the case, but, uh, you know, and then into that you, you begin, you know, actually making those sort of, you know, actual true, true decisions. 
But don't you think that, I mean, we would describe the perfect, probably the perfect collaboration is when we're all in the room at the beginning. I mean, I think there's lots of reasons whether or not it's calendars or schedules, but I mean, yeah. for my yeah. experience, the greatest experiences have always been when all of us are in the room from the get beginning. I would so agree. we're hearing the yeah. same, <coughs> we're hearing the information, yeah. we're responding to each other, um, that we're, we're identifying um, clues that we can help each other, so right. it's not, <coughs> this is one layer and then this is the next and the next, because we can help each other. Right, exactly. You can, yeah, I mean, you can influence uh, the sort of optimum situation to make your part of it happen successfully. Right. And but I think everybody's a part, I mean, when you're working with people that you've been, especially that you have a really terrific relationship with, the ideas don't come from any one particular source, right? So I mean, right. if you're even, I find that, you know, I guess when I say as a designer starting first, I, that would include with the lighting designer and the sound designer and the costume designer, all those people. We start sort of chipping away at the overall, let's say, visual method of presentation, and then everybody else also starts, you know, bringing in um, their specifics. But so much of what I do has to do with what you know I get from other other people. And don't you think? So the place that we start is it's always with the text, having the text, and that we respond to it in some way. So the, from the the get go, there's usually a meeting, um, the director. Um, if there's a writer, if it's a, a new play, there's a writer and designers. And we don't come with something fully formed. We come with ideas, a, a sketch, an impulse, something that each of us might be the place we're going to start, whether or not it's a sound or a visual or a piece of research or a thought. And then each, each meeting is crafting this world, trying to figure out what the um, the the whatever it is, whatever the impulse of this particular world might be, um, we build on it from the very first meeting. And then each meeting bring more things. We, we bring ideas to the directors. We read the text and we, we, we mine them for the, for the ideas and then we bring them to the directors and they, 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 and they pick and choose and sort of bring it into some, some sort of whole thing and somehow uh, coordinate all these, these ideas and, uh, and sometimes it doesn't happen in a spoken way, I find. somehow. The best director is somehow you, you, you manage to get a general sense, overall sense of where production is going and, and how, to, how to latch on to it. And I spend a lot of time just, just trying to figure out exactly where, you know, what, what is this production, what's this concept, what are these, what are these people saying? Right. Um, and often you don't figure that out until you actually get into the room in tech um, or even in previews. But and wouldn't you say that the, one of the biggest, the biggest mis misunderstandings that people have about what we do is the idea that we come to the table with an idea fully formed, that, oh, this is the set, or this is the lighting, or... But in fact, it's usually a long, very circuitous journey. I mean, how many times have we done whole designs that actually have, we've worked on, and then it felt like it was wrong, and then to come back again and come back to the beginning? Yeah, and it's not, and that's not like getting it wrong. I think, and then trying again. It's I always said the journey is the journey to the final destination. You know, it stops at many different points. Right. And so you say like you can't really sort of compartmentalize the the, the process because it's always different. It could be a different pieces of research, different idea, different sound, different different reference, different meeting. But each way, and then you may have something that doesn't work and change direction and all that to hopefully end up with a final result that works. Yeah, it's. It would be a lot easier, I suppose, if we did show up at the first meeting with, you know, <laughs> here it is, um, I, I suppose. But that's not really going to, uh, that's not really going to happen. But you really have to lock yourself into something at a certain point, or much earlier than any of us. It's easier for me yeah. to change something once we're... <clears throat> I, yeah, I we, agree. I was just going to say the same thing, that my process <clears throat> has to be about 
bringing everything to the theater that we've all talked about up until that point, right. but also build into the rig, build into the possibilities in the theater, a complete left turn, a complete right turn, a complete rethinking. Um, so, yeah, it depends on when you, the primary creation takes place. Not the creative process, but the actual creation. And I guess for me, I, we created earlier, in some cases, you know, months ahead of time. Um, but it, it, same with, right. I think, the same Susan. Same thing, exactly. thing, you know, it has to be made. And <laughs> there was a famous quote by, I, I forget even who the great designer was, but you know, all the other, you can change a gel, you can change a sound cue, you can change or dip a, a, or dye, you know, a dress, but you can't dye the set, you know, the, the, the wall will dye you, you know. It's not something that you have the ability to uh, make, um, too many changes once you get into the theater, which is why it's sort of frustrating being a set designer. But the process <laughs> is actually probably still, you're not frustrated being a set designer. I'm frustrated <laughs> by everything, so it's all right. Um, but don't you think then the process, though, for us is, even though it happens at different times, is similar? You might even describe it like an actor's proce process, that you come into the room, kind of a blank slate. You, you understand what all the different impulses is. You try things. Then you, you come back, and you, you basically are building a, a character. Right. So whether or not yours happens, the set happens mostly beforehand, though there's a lot that's happening once we're in the, in the set. Your work happens, I mean, you're planning for it, all of the possibilities, but the timing of it happens. It's the same process. You're still building from the beginning once we're in the, um, mm -hmm. in the room. Yeah, that's true. And the same, because I think that the most exciting thing for all of us is that we're, as we're designing, we're in kind of isolation. And it's that moment, the magical moment, when it's all in the theater. So you can actually see what the actors really look like against the set, what the lights can do, what it sounds like, all as, as a piece. So that's another really important, I mean, there's a lot of decisions that happen at that moment um, that are probably the most exciting for us. How important is it to know your collaborators well and understand how they work? Well, um I, well, knowing you, I mean, there's sometimes when something just sort of falls into place without knowing them at all. Um, there's certainly a great advantage to a long-standing relationship in case, you know, some cases going back. And I'm doing a musical now with Chris Ashley, and I'm afraid to say that we did our first show together over 20 years ago. Um, you know, which is, is a long time, you know. But also, you know, recently you've been working on, like, company and um, um, company and catered affair with John Doyle. You know, John Doyle and I were put together. Um, through Ed Stern, you know, the producer, uh, you know, thought we would be a good match, and I think we turned out to be. You know, the very first meeting we had a very, very uh, similar uh, perspective on the show, and, and I think that uh, um, we'd never met before. It was a fate of complete, we were going to work together, and it just, it just didn't work out well. So that does, that does uh, fortunately, happen sometimes, too. It's also very useful for the directors, since they, they, they know what to expect, and you develop a shorthand working and a, and a certain language. But it's also, I think it's very important for us to be working with new directors all the time. Uh, I, I've, I feel like my work has really improved a lot working with the younger directors, and uh, I have opened my, opened my mind to a lot of different, different possibilities and ideas, and also keep a variety of different types of work coming in. Um, but uh, you know, I, I work probably with 80% uh, of my work is with directors that I've worked with before, uh, and maybe with th three or four directors I've worked with constantly. And then every year I have maybe 20% of my shows over the new people. But I think it's to keep that fresh input coming is important. Yeah, I think that I think every time we start working on a production, it's it's new. Even if it's we've worked with a director before, we feel like we're starting from the beginning, um, or we are starting from the beginning. And it's great to have relationships, but 
all of our relationships, whether or not it's the actors or the stage managers or other designers, or it's really, it's, it's great to come back to a relationship that you've had before that you can learn new things from, um, especially if you've changed in that time. But it's also equally exciting, I think, to work with, with new directors. How do your designs interact with actors, and what do you expect from them? Well, as a costume designer, I'm the one who's like, um, we're totally intertwined. I mean, the relationship with a, um, the actor is the, um, the one of the most thrilling and the most dangerous because we're actually dealing with, the, the costume designer is actually dealing with their physical being. So I've, I change people, I change people's sense of themselves by whether or not it's through the hair or their clothes or changing their body or I've changed people's teeth, their eyes, their, I'm constantly restructuring their molecules. So, um, and we have uh, the, the big picture, I mean, when we're collaborating, we're all looking at the big picture together. Um, and w seeing how it works, whether or not it's about color and form. Um, at the same time, my relationship is, is as much about their foot problems and their um, oh, emotional gosh. problems and um, the, all of the, the, the private things. So it's a, it's a rich, uh, kind of thrilling, but you have to really love to, to work with people or you could be a really, um, costume design is not the field for you, it's just. My process is to actually watch a run through before I go into the show and focus in the theater. And on Tuesday, I focus waiting for Godot. Tomorrow, I go see a run through in the studio. And so that is where I learn how I can sort of see what the actor is up to, what the director is up to, and how I can possibly support that, that his choices, her choices. Um, how they look out a window, how they look at their desk of work, how they look slyly at someone. I mean, my job is all about focus and making sure everybody's looking at the right thing. So that really begins my, I think, the most interesting part of the work to me, to um, just to sort of see what kind of decisions everybody else is making up until that point and how I can best support those decisions, maybe illuminate them another way, and, uh, and then I go into the theater and, and I start to focus the lights accordingly to, to, uh, to match those aspirations. Do you interact with the actors during tech at all? Do you ever you feel any connection to them? Yes, a few times. I mean, uh, you know, I'll often just get off the headset and yell up to them and ask them, you know, do, they, do you really want to stand there, or do you, you know, yesterday you were over there, are you making that new choice? Uh, and sometimes, uh, like I say, I, I, I'll walk up sometimes and say, you know, I, I saw you, you know, you were looking out the window in the rehearsal, and I've put something out there for you to sort of look into if you choose to show them the light. Sometimes they like that, sometimes it's not something they want to do. But, um, yeah, to that degree, I, I walk on stage and talk with them. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes people make about lighting design is that they think it's really about the it's you're lighting the set. But in fact, even though you may not have a personal relationship, you probably have an incredibly intimate relationship with each performer because you yeah. are telling that part of the story, yeah. bringing them out, you know, bringing them out of the um, that world. Well, that's what we have to look at. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, I keep David. Excuse me, but I keep. Uh, I keep a lot of light off the set, really. Um, 
I mean, if it, it probably in, a good thing. In the cases, <laughs> in the cases where, uh, I mean, I think that's the right choice in in uh, in uh, many cases, or or the light that is appropriate for the scene also deals with the set because it's appropriate to the scene. But I don't think of actually lighting the set before I think about lighting the actors. Because that's what I would say is one of the most beautiful things about your lights, you particularly, is that I feel like you are sculpting the actors. So there is an intimate relationship with each, you know, they're reacting to not only their skin, their eyes, their, um, their personal presence. There's an incredible uh, sort of emotional content to lighting. It's incredibly, uh, I'll admit this, it's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly... Um, you know, it, it, it really does dominate, it, 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 uh, it tells the audience where they need to look. And I feel like a very powerful person, really, in the theater during tech. So uh, if we're supposed to be listening to the words and following the actions that the actors are doing, I think they're the people that you have to sort of see the best and see in w whatever light that is appropriate for the scene and, um, you know, deal with it in a slightly, not slightly, very emotionally connected way. I try to really sort of understand what the actor is trying to achieve, and then I try to support that choice as much as I can with the light. Same with your sound design and music for uh, underscoring is also very sneaky, which is what I like about it too. It's a, and I, I have a relationship with the actors, but it's, it's sort of a secret relationship. Even the right. actors don't understand it often. <laughs> right. You know, because often I'm underscoring actors and uh, I'm really helping color the whole, the mood. Right. And I'm, I'm coloring the way people are really are perceiving the, the play, right. although uh, no one is aware of it. I think of lighting sometimes as underscoring, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I lighting think of uh, sort of slow, careful cueing that, that uh, people are only maybe slightly aware of sort of helps in the same way that a music cue, sound cue, can sort of draw people in and sort of get them, you know, leaning forward into this, into the... Uh, Absolutely, but it's a part of your brain that you're not aware of. Like, right. Like, even I, you know, you're not the aware of, like, how... Right. Yeah, the audience member isn't aware how, how light is affecting right. the emotional awareness of that scene or that passage. And the way I score a, a, a text, a piece of text, could completely change the way it's it's absolutely across and the emotional absolutely. effect. I think the the lighting designer and the sound designer have such an intimate relationship because it is a kind of underscoring yeah. that you have a, yeah. um, that, that you work together the most. You're really, really setting up the whole the pacing of the transitions and the and the general the, the fluidity of the whole production yeah. is is something that we have to coordinate together with the director. Right. Is that frustrating at all? Because it is easier for an audience member to pick out you know, what the set looked like and what costumes look like, um, whereas I think it's far harder to identify what a lighting designer or sound designer does. Um, it's moderately frustrating sometimes to, to, um, to not have your work necessarily be able to be talked about, to be described, to be noted in some way, but um, I, I, I know in my heart <laughs> what it does, and it really, that's frankly all that really no, it's matters not, it's, to it's, me. It also it makes it easier to fly under the radar when it shows a big bomb. You, can, <laughs> so, uh, you know, whereas the scenery is just out there, and you know, it's sitting there. What happens when you disagree with an interpretation? With I win. For <laughs> Um, you mean with other design? When with you disagree with other designers or a director as the process goes on, what? How does that play out? 
I think that a lot of it is about um, not about territorial, but trying to you're trying to give life to these words, and you're trying to create this world. So there's a lot of there's a lot of pushing and, and, and pulling among all the collaborators, I think, which may even be about casting or um, um, there's so many choices that are involved in this, this behemoth that's moving its way to, this, to the stage. So I think there's always disagreements. I think, the, I don't know if your question is about if there's like a uh, mind, you know, this is the line, I can't cross that line. Does that happen often, I guess, as far as? The, the way I try to do uh, my life is all about providing choices anyway, so when I get to a theater, I try to offer the first thing I, uh, that I think is appropriate, that I responded to in the rehearsal hall and the way I think it should look. If there are other people who feel differently, directors, design, other designers, I, um, I'm used to providing that option, or at least the... the um, you know, the, take the time. It's because what I can, what I do is actually I can put together rather quickly, so I can show them options. I don't think any designers really in the business or should be in the business of saying no to a director um, or to other colleagues. But um, well, it should be a situation where you can say, yes, look, I can do that. But look what happens when I do that. Do we really want that? And hopefully, we can all reach a kind of consensus that it's uh... yeah, I mean that through the process especially when you get into the theater things here and there disagreement with a director is certainly understandable but fundamental choices or anything that actually helps shaping the production a disagreement early on doesn't really make a lot of sense because I think you know we're not there to do my idea of what this show should be necessarily you know we're there to to help tell the story the way that the person who has written it and the person who's directing it and the major sort of artistic figurehead what is that they're trying to do with it do you know what i mean i i guess i'm speaking largely hypothetical because i never run into a complete you know like i don't think it should be that well i do you know because usually i can go there and what um is always so interesting is when they, they like for a third story you know um which i just recently just did you know a little production of downtown um, I had no idea what I wanted to do with it, and then I did bring forward some ideas, and I was told by the, uh, you know, Charles Bush and, and, and by Carl Andres, you know, this is what we're interested in, and it caused a complete reversal on my thought. I went in that direction, and I think the results turned out to be what everybody ultimately wanted. Now, when you get into the theater and tech and you're putting it all together, disagreeing with your fellow designers, I could see that happening. Do you know what I mean? Maybe not necessarily on a, on a huge scale, but uh, um, uh, especially with with lights, where you have designed it something in a certain way, and it's being being in a, in a way that I think sort of contradicts you know your idea. You can get into that, um, but then that's just for you to you know sort out amongst yourselves. I've never had a had a huge problem you know with that. So. I like um, Peter's choice of the word. Uh, the, you saying the word choices is that we provide choices because that's their choices for ourselves as much as for the other people that we're, we're working with. I would say my biggest regrets um, have to do where I feel like I've compromised an idea too much, that, it, that I've, 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 I've not found the right way to make it clear hmm. why this was a better idea. Um, and so you take that on yourself. Well, to a, I mean, that's part of our, you know, yeah. You, yeah. you can't just say this is right and, and right. storm off. But uh, there, there are uh, there are specific moments that I that I you know of course we have records of them. You have a photograph and you go, ooh, I should have. I just I know I should have. If I had somehow found a better way to explain that, 
Um, then, for when, and it could be it could have been a choice with an actor. It could have been a choice with another designer. It could have been a choice with a director. But yeah. the, so we're constantly making choices. Our every you know for for me, it's I'm choosing every button, every shoelace, every every where every piece of hair goes. Um, is it this length? Is it this length? So all of us are. Our lives are about making thousands and thousands of choices daily. And, th and there's a rather narrow window in which those choices can be made. So if you reach, if you, if you get past the point where there's no more staff or the tech period is over and you've, you've, uh, right. you know, you've, you've run out of time, um, you have to live with what you've done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it's well fondly remembered and sometimes it's what if or I wish I had or what are some of the logistical challenges that you confront? You mentioned a little bit about time and things like Some of my biggest challenges are sort of working with a set designer early enough on in the process so that I can influence the ground plan and uh, carve out enough space for me to put gear where I can achieve the things that the set designer and the director are hoping to see. Um, so that's just the sort of physical challenge of what I do, making sure that I have laid out a rig where all of the things that everybody's expecting to see on stage are actually accomplishable. Um, so, I mean, time and money are, are always the big, either you could say the great equalizers or the great challenges. I mean, I think the, every, everything that we do has logistical challenges, whether or not it's about science or, um, and you know, frankly, sometimes having as much money as you need or as much time as you need still doesn't solve all of the, 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 the questions, the logistical questions. Because a lot of it has to do with one of the great things about what we do as well is that we work with a lot of, we work with other people. We, we don't work in isolation. We work with great artisans who are either making the clothes or painting or building the scenery or or helping us, um, you know, working with us in some way. So it, it's never directly through us. I think that, and, and it's also about how the actor sounds or how they wear clothes or how they appear in the stage. So there are so many um, either s small problems, can you, um, can you make this little thing happen, or huge problems, can, uh, you know, can, you make light stop here instead of having it go keep going its course, or mm -hmm. can you make it sound a certain way um, depending on the, the sound system that we're in or the, um, the size of the space, or is the loading door big enough for, um, I mean, the questions go on and on. Every show has its own problems Absolutely. to solve. Absolutely. I'm working on the Singing Forest now at the Public Theater, and, and uh, we have to solve the problem of how to make Olympia Dukakis, who she plays a, a, a phone sex operator <laughs> uh, uh, she's, she pretends she's a phone sex operator, and she, uh, we have to alter her voice so she sounds like 25, she's 25 years old. And she also uh, does, she does a, a gay phone sex operator. So, oh I, have to, I, have to, uh, so I have to make her sound 25 years old and sexy and as a man and, and a woman. So that's the, wow. th that's my logistical <laughs> problem to solve. And meanwhile, I'm, I'm scoring a production at Primary Stages uh, of Chasing Manet, where I have, to, I have to fill time for transitions and propel the action along mm -hmm. during a transition. Although I, I have to write music not knowing exactly how long the transitions will be, and we won't know until we're on stage, and we know how the scenery's gonna move, and you know, whether a wheelchair's gonna get through a door or not. 
So, uh, but you don't really, every, every show presents a different challenge depending on where it is and how much money you have. And you don't start with the challenges, you include the challenges part of the process. You know, in, in Wicked, I've got 18 people changing in less than 20 seconds from one, one role to the next role to the next. I mean, it's unbelievable how they're changing. It's a logistical nightmare, but it wasn't what inspired the design. It became, it was once I knew what I was doing, it became part of the design. Or I'm doing this new musical now, Giant, um, where I've got a group of actors who transform between 1920 to 1940 to 1950, and I'm trying to have it happen without there being significant changes. It's a challenge, but it, I don't think any of us necessarily start with that as our um, as our beginning place. No, I wouldn't think so. I mean, there, there's the logistics and challenges for everything, and you know, time and money certainly are often um, big ones. But you know, I've I've done some stuff recently where we really couldn't spend the money fast enough, and they didn't care how much we spent. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? And 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 there was all the time in the world, but there were certainly other you know the physical confines with a theater to fit in a show, you know, of that scale, or the age of, you know, the theater, or again, you say, like, the load-in situation, you know, I mean, just getting big pieces in, let's say, if you're doing something on a, on a large scale, you know, kind of thing, so there's, you know, there's certainly that, or, or it might be a director in a different language, you know, with a little bit of a language barrier could be a challenge. Um, or just distance, do you know what I mean? Uh, distance, or, or perhaps, you know, again, the fabrication is taking place all over, you know, a lot of, a lot of just, you know, the traveling can be a, you know, logistics and a, and a challenge, but yeah, I think it's. I think that every. I think that one of the things you need to sort out initially is what it is. You know, what is it that we're trying to you know accomplish and making our design choices based on you know again the piece, the text, the direction, the idea behind that, and and uh, I think that whatever whatever the challenges are are particularly are always in the, in your in your mind, but um, I think I, I I don't think I can point to a particular place where I feel that that the results were such you know were were disappointing because of, of some limitation, do you know what I mean? Because oh. I think the, the only limit is yourself, I guess is a cliche, but sometimes it you know, feels like it's true. Well, often the limits uh, spark creativity and force interesting choices. I, I just did um, a production of Shipwrecked, also at primary stages, where uh, we did all the sound effects were performed live by the actors. And that, you know, that forced us into, into some really interesting choices, and I had to figure out how to, uh, you know, how to render all these different places and and animals all with live sound. The volcano rumbles. Obligatory ship bells. It forced us to make decisions that were very theatrical. Uh, and so sometimes limits of money really, I think, can... I hate admitting that too, but sometimes <laughs> there's been times <laughs> when, we, when we're like, no, it absolutely has to be what I drew, I don't care how we pay for it. You know, all right, I'll get back to you. Then. Wait, I got a better idea, you know, and it costs, you know, nothing. And that has happened, but that, not, not a lot. Let's not... Uh, I would say that for me, the biggest, or as I said, the costume design is one of the... You were just talking about it, um, which is having things made 
all in different places. Mm. So I go into a, a costume fitting with an actor who I'm trying to transform, and the first step is I'm looking at something in muslin. This is not even the right fabric, so I'm trying to establish proportion, but I don't have the shoes, I don't have the wig, I don't have the hat, I don't have the, I don't have all of the pieces that I need to, so I'm having to mentally fill it in for every single, you know, if, even if there's 200 costumes, I'm filling it in constantly. So it's not until you get into the theater that you um, actually see it all together, and sometimes it's, sometimes it's fantastic, and sometimes it's terrifying because it's all just a little wrong. So, I mean, that's the thrilling part, I think, about a lighting designer, is that you really, it's all happening, and the pieces are mostly there. Hopefully the clothes are there. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's true. You know, for the scenic designer, we've been working on it for however long. I mean, made oh. countless trips to all these different senior shops, but we're seeing it for the first time, too. You know, so you, people come to you and bombard you with all these questions, like, hey, man, that's the first time I saw that, you know, <laughs> on stage, you know, put together. Who makes, who does the fabrication for you? How does that work? Well, it depends entirely on, on where you're working, you know. I mean, if you're working, I mean, we're talking about all different kinds of theater here. Right. I mean, re some regional theaters are fantastic because they have these artisans that have been working there for, for a very long time, you know. So we have the uh, ability to sort of, uh, you know, work with, a, work with it. And then you're the new guy, you know. I mean, you're the one who's coming in and working within an established framework, which I think is terrific. Broadway is manufactured by all sorts of different shops all around the New York area and, in some cases, Canada. Mm -hmm. A big show can be cut up amongst uh, several different shops, do you know what I mean, several different places, and so a lot of it is coordinating, making sure that everything kind of works together. In some cases, I have something built in one place, and then, you know, the light bulb's installed somewhere else, and then painted by even a third party, you know. Or but it's, it's an amazing, I mean, and every show is different, but it is amazing when you realize the number of um, artisans who are involved. So for, I mean, for something like, or actually almost every show, but something like Wicked, I have many milliners making hats, wig makers making wigs, um, mask people making the masks, um, another kind of artisan making the monkey wings. I have fabric woven and painted, um, dyed, um, beaded, embroidered, and these are all different people. Then there are the drapers who are actually making the, the shapes they're, they're doing on a form, stitchers who are sewing it all together, um, shoemakers, cobblers, um, I mean, the you list have your is wigs made in Bali, like they're making no, wigs. No, I still right now they're all being made. Um, they're, um, but they're they're made all over. I mean, they are, things are made all over. I mean, I have a shoemaker in um, Nova Scotia, but I think that that when you actually go through the list and realize how what people are doing, a lot of what we do uh, for the set designer and the costume designer is actually is the oldest craft in the world. I mean, it's carpenters and painters and dressmakers. Um, the, the modern techno technology has um, not had a huge impact on what um, the customer does. We still, um, a lot of it is, most of it's done by hand. So we use technology in, in ways, you know, we use it as a bookkeeping tool and an editing tool, and a, um, but it's not, it's still a sewing machine was the most important invention <laughs> for what we do. We've come a long way technology-wise, yeah. I have to say. Uh, from what I do, it's astonishing what, what we, we, we do now that we couldn't even do a few years ago. Mm. Can you talk John, a little bit about that? John, you have a staff of 62, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting because I was thinking about you know, fabrication. I mean, I, I, mostly I'm fabricating most of my designs in terms of the creation of the music and sound. 
of course, when I put shows together that are renting gear, we fabricate the system in an off-site sound shop and move it into the theater. But uh, you know, I create the music and sound. I record musicians, and then I do all the editing. Um, and uh, pretty much, it's, I'm, I'm a one-man band. You know. Yeah. So. Of, of my observation, your job has changed the most in the last because of the technology. I mean, it's right. actually years. possible. Yeah, I, I can I can really work on notes. So right in the theater, I have a, a, a workstation, a computer workstation with me. I can edit music. I can make music. I can I can see a scene change and. 30 seconds later, I can have a new cue and I can put it into a show. Whereas before, it used to be I would take notes at the end of the night, I'd wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and you know, and. <laughs> that was the thing. You would, you would get to the tech meeting and they say, okay, these sound cues aren't <clears throat> correct. And then the sound designer would say, all right, I'll just go to my studio and cut the little tapes up and glue them back together tonight and be in tomorrow. And, and then if you don't like it, it's another 24-hour cycle, and I think that we were at like the Berkshire Theater Festival when you were like, "Check this out, Dave! Check this out!" And he had like sound on his computer, and I'd never seen that before <laughs> or heard that before. And he's like, "What was it? Early Pro Tools or something that you had? I don't even yeah, know." Yeah. But he was like, showing me all this stuff, and I was like, "Wow! I didn't, never, I didn't even know computers made noise at that point." <laughs> yeah, it's changed a lot. I mean, the technology allows us to, to do a lot more things uh, a, 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 a lot easier. So, what for all of you? What first sparked your interest in design? I would say that I've always been a designer, so it's, I don't know why and how. And my family, we had no arts in the background, in my family background, no going to the, the theater. We, we read books, that's what we did, we read books. I come from a big family, small town. Um, but I was always interested in the arts. I was always drawing and making my own clothes and making, kind of making theater. I was an actress, so it's, I, I would describe it as a calling that I never thought I, I never, it's what I was, I've always done in one shape or form. Theater became specific, but I think I'd probably be designing, um, you know, in some form, um, whether or not it's clothes or toothpicks, um, if, if I wasn't in the theater. This is where I, I fit in, you know. This is where I, I was able to combine my interest in music and in, in theater. I, I, I was an actor in high school, and I always wrote music. And somehow, sound design allowed me to combine those things. Mm -hmm. So, it just and uh, I loved the, the theater life and theater people. And mm -hmm. uh, somehow, that's it just managed to happen that way. I took a stagecraft class on a lark in uh, college, and my freshman year, and uh, the, everyone had to do a crew based on that class. And my crew was the uh, faculty dance concert at the end of the season and my job on that crew was to besides hang the lights and focus the lights and change the gels between pieces my job was to pull the curtain so I had that sort of seminal <laughs> perch in the wings pulling the curtain and watching the side lights sort of change color and change the effects on stage and uh, I was hooked. I had a great interest in doing film originally. Not necessarily designed for film, but I just loved the idea of making a film. I loved the idea of the make-believe world of you know, movies and stuff like that. And, and uh, I was a huge fan of, I was exactly the perfect age when Star Wars came out. And that was a fascinating movie to me. And I was just sort of the ultimate sort of 10-year-old you know, Star Wars fan and Raiders of the Lost Ark and all these terrific um, 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 films that to me were the sort of epitome of creating alternative worlds and you know I thought that that was sort of a film director job but um, the, one of the things that Lucas having such an interest in in um, 
the art of his, of his work is, is they actually published the art department archives in books. You could actually get these books and it had all the sketches and the drawings and I was like, wow, you know, people actually make up those things, you know, it didn't just sort of come from a store, it was a, you know, the creation of all these ideas and, 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 and how ideas developed was all laid out and I didn't really understand it all but it just fascinated me. Um, that you know a person could take um, from different research ideas and create something sort of unique and so wonderful and ultimately that had no real function it was just the, you know it was a design idea um, and then got interested in theater because uh, you can't really make movies so much when you're when you're 14 or 15 years old and so uh, I started doing the next best thing which was working on the theater and um, working in the theater stuff and and uh, and that was even more interesting to me because it was just so much more immediate. You know, it was right there on stage, and and it, rather than something that was done for a camera, it was done, you know, for a, for a live audience. And the idea of musical theater, which hadn't really occurred to me too much, just suddenly started seeming like a a very exciting thing, and I I, I pursued it. Uh, I actually have on my studio wall a letter that I wrote to my grandmother, um, thanking her for giving me a dollar, and it says, "I joined a new club at school, uh, and I'm learning how to make scenes and do special effects for The Wizard of Oz, which I guess is the music we're doing. So I have it on the wall at the office. Um, I guess there, that was the moment. If I'd gotten around to dating it, I could point to the exact moment, I guess, that I got involved <laughs> in the theater. But uh, Did you all receive formal training for what you do? Or? I don't want to say formal. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a high school diploma. Mm. I, I have no formal training for what I did. There, there, was, there really weren't sound design programs. I studied a little bit of music, but I, my degree's in public policy from Duke and when I was at Duke as a 22 year old I was writing incidental music for plays there and uh, Manny Eisenberg brought in a pre-Broadway triad of right. Long Journey and Tonight uh, with Jack Lemmon and um, Kevin Spacey and was I happened to be on campus 86 86 yeah I saw it nice job <laughs> uh, I never got yeah. to tell you <laughs> well yeah they, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't think that they needed music for the transitions and uh, Someone told them I was working on campus, and they actually asked me to write the music for the transition. So I met with Jonathan Miller. He, he hummed some music he wanted, and I went off. I was doing an independent study in a synthesizer then, and I composed a music overnight, brought it to them. And as a 22-year-old, I had music on Broadway. Wow. So that was, and then the path was laid out for me. And then nice. the first show I did when I got to New York was Frankie and Johnny and Claire de Lune. So I, I had some lucky breaks really early on. But I didn't study, and, and uh, uh, I'm not sure I would have benefited from having studied, although I... I have an undergraduate degree in theater. Ultimately, that stagecraft class led to an undergraduate degree. But um, I learned mostly here, I think, in New York. I, I, uh, I had a good teacher in school whose first, whose love was lighting, and uh, he left after my second year of school and came here to work at a place called Dance Theater Workshop on 19th Street where I came every opportunity I had in my last two years of school to uh, do whatever, clean the bathrooms, change the gels, run the light board. And when I graduated two years later, he was ready to move on, and they actually asked me if I wanted to replace him. So I, I moved to New York miraculously with a job <laughs> in my future. And uh, so for two years, I sort of cut my teeth on lighting modern dance companies. and. Uh, and then I started the whole assisting thing, working with, um, I didn't get a chance to work with Aaron, unfortunately, yeah. but I worked with Tom Skelton and some other I assisted Tom Skelton. titans of the lighting world, did, and yeah. uh, that's where I learned mostly. Yeah. I had a, um, I, I did my graduate work at Yale, like I have an MFA from Yale, and I'm the chair of the design program at NYU at the Tisch School of the Arts. 
But I really believe that the graduate training is not so much about a training that I think it's important that the designers have experiences, have life experiences, that they've had those kinds of experiences working, working for people, with people, and that the graduate moment is about you having a kind of private time, that you having the time to, to bring all of the, your different thoughts, and you have time to actually develop a process. Um, so I would say that that's the exciting part about uh, um, uh, the graduate school. It gives you time as an artist to spend some time in, a, um, in the studio. But I think the real, I mean, it's, it's the, edu the education is every show that we work on. The beauty of what we do, that's why it is a hell of a life, is that the beauty of what we do is every time we have new experiences. We, I mean, even if you went around and talked what we were doing right now, each of us are basically traveling around in our head, in our, in our minds, are traveling back in time, we're traveling forward in time, where, where we get to have conversations with Shakespeare and Mozart, and um, so the education is constant. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't, I mean, every show, you are, you, you, you're looking at the world in a different way, whether or not it's you know, South Africa to ancient Rome to um, Frankie and Johnny at the Claire Alone. It's a, it's an education. Totally. And what other disciplines and bodies of knowledge do you draw on for your designs? Everything. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. I mean, we'll probably all take back some, what happened in this room. Anything that happened in this room is fodder for our, um, our work. So whether or not it be the way it feels or the way it looks or a thought. So... I think that's the, the, the kind of, it, the way we look at the world probably depends on what show we're working at. Because you're constantly looking for research. You're, 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 everything now becomes, has a relationship to the work that you're doing. So it could be, I mean, it could be, I mean, literally anything. It could be the color of the table that, you know, something comes back to us later on. Or the way somebody sits, or the way somebody nods their head, or, um, I mean, don't you use everything? Yeah, I'm working on four productions uh, right now that uh, each one is a different world, and it's, been, it's, a, it's a real challenge to compartmentalize your brain into jumping all these different worlds. You know, in, in one, I'm listening to all this 20th century music, Webern and Baird, Ford singing Forest. And uh, in another, I just finished A Kill a Mockingbird, where I was listening to Ry Cooter. And, and uh, uh, so jumping in and out all those, all those different, those different uh, things is, is a challenge, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's always it's a great it's a great education. You you get to learn things about about art and, and music that you otherwise wouldn't have uh, in in a, in a very deep way. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a, it's it is a great joyous life. I think the theater life. And I don't know what I would do if I were if I had to do a nine to five job or. Dave has a new baby. I bet you that's going to change your design work. I do. Oh, really? I do. Yeah. I know that. Well, I say nothing is nothing well, is wasted, you know, right. and everything is a tax write-off, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, everything, every, every, we are, a, you know, the culmination of all of our life's experiences. You know, if I designed once, you know, cars or something, I guess my life would more be about, you know, that particular application or usefulness or aesthetic or whatever. But there's no, there's no limits to, uh, to. I just got handed a play about. Superman and the whole, you know, and then it ends in a concentration camp, you know, I mean, and I'm like, no problem, you know, like, okay, we'll figure this out, you know, but, but uh, <laughs> I have, I have enough years in this and enough sort of 
life experience is to sort of at least initially approach it and see, you know, see where to go because nothing as a research idea has been, you know, has been wasted. The material is sort of there. Do you think that's because we are creating, we are creating worlds. We have to create it, sometimes it's in the past or the present or the future or an imagined place and that to create that we actually have to understand the emotional, sociological, historical structure that made that world so we then have to bring it to all of our designs like what is a concentration camp you would look at other concentration camps from different cultures and then try to understand what it would be in some future context or on Mars or in another world or you know what's the quality of light in um, in other pl what will tell the story that you're trying to tell based on the quality of light um, what kind of research I will admit that I think at this point I don't uh, I don't go and look at uh, a lot of paintings or movies or I, I don't investigate other solutions to similar problems in light by other people whether that's a painter or another lighting designer in a photograph or whatever. Um, I feel like I think that's maybe more for the physical aspects of the production. Maybe I'm wrong about this. I don't know, but but don't you think you're the, the, all of the you know that your understanding of the world, whether it's political or sociological, may, helps you understand the story that you want to tell, and then will affect. Yes, how but I think that comes out from my work more emotionally and more. Um, uh, sort of subliminally, more subliminally than um, you know, trying to evoke the quality of light in. I'm, I'm just uh, right, you know, right. I did that musical contact, and the first piece of it was about the Fragonard painting, the swing. But I didn't really go and examine that painting and try to recreate it on stage. I sort of, like I said before, I think my work really. I, I prepare as much as I can, and then I sort of go to the rehearsals and try to be um, impacted by what they're doing to the point where I feel like I know what I need to do to help that sort of move along, not quote something or not um, aspire to a painting or aspire to uh, another physical uh, space that we might be trying to evoke. Um, do, you, do you find your verse a bit more improvisational now too as a yes. lighting designer? Yeah, because yes. I'm finding that too as a sound designer now that I have the tools in the theater, yeah. I, I can just assemble a lot of different elements and then respond to things uh, uh, right there on the spot, which mm -hmm. is great. And, yeah. and, uh, and often the best work I do is, is sort of is made up right there. It's, totally it's improvisational agree. based on what you see and yeah. what you hear. Yeah. Yeah, it's so much like when, we, when you're painting, we actually, I think Susan and I are the only ones here that actually paint for what we do. You have, we have our palette laid out and we can pick, you know, in the studio what, what it is that we want to create, you know, whatever it is that we're painting or illustrating or texturing or, you know, and really now because the technology is developed, you have your palette of, of all of these, of these raw materials that you can they use to create something beautiful. Yeah, I, I can throw up different textures. I can even grab things online now. If I have, I have access right. to those sound databases, and I think I, I, I need this sound. I can just grab yeah, it. Just, just like run behind the fire engine in the city, you know, with the microphone. You know, I, yeah. Go back to the theater and hope you had what you needed. But uh, but it's it's much freer, I think, and in, in our what we what we do, we don't we don't have to be locked into something so early, and we can uh, we can make things up.
as we go. What's the best career advice you've been given? Advice? I think you have to make yourself as open to as many different experiences as, as but possible. But you're asking what have we so been what given? Have we given? What have we been what, given? What, what have we have been given? Yeah. Or to turn it around, right. what would you say to right, young designers? That's a completely up? different. I think yeah, exactly. that is quite different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't know where this is going to take you, and I think as, as a young person, to make yourself open to modern dance or to these different worlds, and, and somehow you'll find where your life is flowing to and what you're best at doing. Yeah, so I would agree uh, with that. You know, there is a path, an ultimate. There's not necessarily an ultimate destination. You know, when I, I do a lot of, spend a lot of time. You know, seeing people's portfolios and talking to people. And like I say, I have the interns, and you know, I say, what do you want to be doing? And it's not what do you, where do you see yourself in the five years question, but you know, what it, what it is, you know, is your goal? And 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 they, nine times out of ten, is to design on Broadway. And you're like, you know, well, they don't even really know what that means. Bad idea. Do you know what I mean? You know, what does that mean? And not to, we've not all, to everybody here is designed on Broadway, and it's not always everything it's cracked up to be. Do you know what I mean? And so, you know, that that shouldn't be your goal, but more just again, yeah, going on your journey and seeing where it where it takes you and what what it is that appeals to you. You know, being being yourself, and you know, because I think education can also. You know, wash out some of you know who you are at some of these some of these places. You know, and and, and allowing now we're you know, this, of course. Thank you. <laughs> of course, not NYU, but you know, the others. But it's it's this is a this is a pr profession <clears throat> where you know the, the individual who, who the person is uh, uh, and what they what they create. I mean, so much of it has to do with you know what's in their heart and what's in their head. You know, you can only learn so much. You talked about formal education. You only can. You, know, you can't learn how to design lights or costumes or scenery or sound. You just can't. You can learn the process and all of that, but uh, and they can certainly help make it easy for you. But it's it's they're hiring. You know what you have in here and you know what you have up here, and so you know maintaining that and retaining what what it is about you that's that's special and using that to your to your best advantage. If you're talking about advice to a new generation or a, or a young artist, is to find a way to work to work among all of your collaborators that it's not just as a an individual designer but to find the kind the voice that you want to be speaking and finding the directors and the other designers and the actors who want to be saying the things that you want to be saying I think the best piece of advice that it was ever given to me and that I still could pass on to other people now as advice to them is uh, Tom said to me once uh, after I made some horrible blunder, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, don't be so anxious to prove to everybody how much you know. Be more open to everything that you don't know yet. And uh, I think that's still, you know, sage words of advice. Even for me now, I learn from people every day in the theater, from electricians to, um, you know, anybody that works in the theater. So. Uh, I think there's a lot of people, there are a lot of young people right now who are sort of anxious to sort of prove how ready they are and how much they know and how much of their, how they've sort of charted out what they see as their career for the next few years. And um, I think it's much better to sort of be uh, a sponge, you know, right. be, be a... a um, but it's interesting, not to change the topic too much, but you know, these kids are coming to us, young people are coming to us, and traditionally the person, you know, when I went to 
have a mentor. They knew everything and I knew nothing. And they're now coming to us with this ex incredible knowledge of, from a technical aspect of things that, you know, can, where, the way in which computers are used and technology that I, I, I don't have right. those abilities. Our own so right it's now. so interesting to have a person. I've got a young associate now, just started, just got out of graduate school, and he's, he, he, the things he can do, I, I didn't know it could be done. You know, and so he's he's changed who I am so much. But that's uh, the, even within the last year. But don't you think that's the 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 one of the things that's confusing about technology is that the computer still can't write for you, or it can't draw for you, or can't have the ideas. It can actually do all of this incredible s stuff. It's um, true. But. What for the young designer, somebody who wants to be a designer, they've got to find, they've got to get to the heart of it. They it's not about the, the the skill, the specific skills. It's how do you get to the heart? Really get back to the most ancient part of it is how do you tell a story, and what are the stories you want to tell? No, you're absolutely right, and I don't mean to say that these computer skills are uh, t t supplanting any kind of uh, necessity of right. of the artistic end. But I, you know, I guess all I'm saying is, is that they've come such a far away in the last even couple of years that I never really had interest in computer stuff until now the things we can do really are ridiculously amazing. Right. Do you know what I mean? But yes, you're right. They still come and need the, 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 so much of the other ends of the business and the knowledge and the art and the, all of that. Um, all I was pointing out was that, you know, when they, they arrive, they have so many things that I didn't have to offer, you know, when I was, when I was first starting out. Maybe they have certain... Certain, certain things. And I think that's a good place for us to end our discussion. Thank you all for joining us. And thank you for joining us. These programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, I'm Gordon Cox, and thank you for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. The Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. Best known for creating the Tony Awards, we stand for excellence, but we also support education in the theater, and our work reaches beyond Broadway in New York. The Working in the Theater television programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are unequaled forums for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth radio interviews were created in conjunction with XM Satellite Radio and can be heard on our website. Our annual theater company grants support New York not-for-profits, and since they began, have distributed nearly $3 million. We are also pleased to be the home of the Jonathan Larson grants, which support emerging composers and lyricists. For people who are starting their careers, we have a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country called Springboard NYC. And our theater intern group provides a forum for young people who are starting their careers to build a professional network. All of the American Theatre Wing's educational and media programs are available for free on demand from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Thanks for your interest in the Wing, and thanks for watching.